In a season of spiritual change, God demands that we remove the old and sinful, but something needs to take its place. God is not the God of the takeaway. He's the God of the takeaway and the give back. When God takes something out of your life, He expects you to replace it with something else. Welcome to Moody Presents with Dr. Mark Job, President of Moody Bible Institute and Senior Pastor of New Life Community Church in Chicago. We're here with part two of the message, How to Prepare for a Season of Change. We'll be looking at both the motivation for change as well as the need to have a plan for change. Hey, by the way, does the very idea of change scare you? Well, fear not. Our scripture passage is anchored in Nehemiah. Chapter 9, moodypresents.org is where you go if you'd like to hear part one of this message, as well as any broadcast in our series. All the audio is archived there and ready to stream very easily at moodypresents.org. And now, here's Mark Job with today's Moody Presents. The Apostle Paul, after walking with God for like 20 years, said, I am, I am one of the worst of sinners. Wait a second. This is Paul. Paul, you're the apostle Paul. I mean, you wrote a bunch of the books of the Bible. You had an encounter with Jesus. I mean, you saw him face to face. You healed people. Your hanky healed people. And you were bit by a serpent and healed. I mean, you, you were like this mega saint. How could you call yourself the worst of sinners? Because the closer Paul got to the light of God, the more he realized that there's a lot in his life that needs to be changed until the day you die and and to the day you come before Jesus Christ, there will be always issues in your life that God is going to deal with, always. I I don't live for God because I'm afraid, oh, I may go to hell and, you know, I may lose myself. No, I don't live that way. I don't live in fear. I live in grace. You know what motivates me? The Bible says it's the grace of God that leads us to repentance and teaches us to say no to sin. You see, God is so good. When I was a young believer, when I first came to Christ, I was afraid of hell. I mean, fires of flames of hell. I may miss it. Oh, help me, Lord. I don't want to go there. Sounds like a real nasty place to hang out for a long time. I don't really want to go there. Oh, help me, Jesus. You know, that was a motivating factor. Once I became born again, once I gave my life to Christ, once I started walking in God, that ceased to be the motivating factor in my life. It was no longer fear of punishment. A slave has fear of punishment. A son no longer is driven by fear. A son is driven by grace. I could could tell my son Josiah, uh, hey, if you don't do this, I'm going to really crack down on you. In fact, have you ever heard of being grounded for life? Well, that's what you're going to be if you don't do this because you do not do that. I could try to motivate him by fear. And he could think if I do that, oh, I'll be really punished. And so I better not do that because I may get punished. But if I can do it with getting away with a punishment, then I would do it. Or I could sit down with my son and I could say, son, you know, it would really grieve my heart if you did this. Because that's not your nature. You're my son. You're a Job. Jobs don't do that. And it would really disappoint me if you did that. It would really cause me grief if you do that. Listen, son, 
even if you did it, you would still be my son. Because you cannot cease to be my son, even when you don't behave like my son. But it would cause me sadness and grief of heart. That motivation, when my son goes to do something, he thinks, this grieves the heart of God. This grieves the heart of my father. I don't want to grieve my father's heart. Because he's been good to me. He's my dad. He loves me. I want to please my father. So I don't want to do it because I don't want to hurt his heart. As opposed to the fear of punishment that says, hey, I don't want to do it because I'll get punished. You see, there's different motivations. The more mature we become in God, I believe that we become more grace-driven and less hell-driven. Are you tracking with me? The more you mature you become in God, it's not fear of, of, of hell. And, and by the way, I know there's a lot of discussion about this, and some of you come from religious traditions and backgrounds where you, where you believe you can lose your salvation and so forth. Uh, that's a long discussion. I'm not going to get into that discussion, but I do believe that if you're truly a son, you cannot, be, you cannot unbecome a son. That if you're born, you can't become unborn if you're truly a son. Now, there's some that claim to be a son that aren't really a son in the first place and don't show the fruit of it. And if you're really a son, I think you'll show the fruit of it. But here's the point. I run into people that are fear-driven. And if you're fear-driven, you're going to fail often. And I'll say to someone, they'll come to the altar, and I'll say, is this the first time you're giving your life to Jesus? No. Is this the second time? Oh, uh, No. Third time? Well, it's more like the 12th or 13th time. I can't remember anymore. So what's your story? Well, I got saved, then I got unsaved, got saved, 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 got unsaved. Can't keep track of it anymore. Last month I was saved. This Last month I was unsaved. This month I'm trying to get saved. I just really don't know where I'm at. I got saved and unsaved so many times I can't keep track. That is not the way it works. You don't need to get saved again. You just need to repent and get on track again. Hebrews chapter 6 says, you know, once you've tasted of his grace and, and, and held of it, you can't like re-crucify Jesus again. You need to repent and get your life on track with God, not try to get saved again. And what drives you is not the fear of hell. What drives you is the grace of God. Lord, I don't want to hurt your heart. You've been so good, so patient, so loving. How could I hurt the heart of the one who loves me so much? And by the way, there are consequences to sin. Just because God forgives you doesn't mean you don't have to live with the consequences. Hey, you go out, rob a bank, you say, well, I asked God to forgive me, he forgave me, now I'm richer. No, it doesn't work that way, sorry. You know, no, no. You repent, you, you, you know, you have to give the money back, you deal with the money, all right, give it anonymously, I don't care, give it back anonymously, drop it off at the bank, but guess what, if you're caught, you go to jail, you'll go forgiven to jail, but you'll still go to jail. You say, well, Jesus forgave me, yeah, but now you're, now you have a jail ministry. <laughs> you're forgiven, but hey, you're going to jail still, because God liberates you from the spiritual damnation, but not from the physical consequences of your sin. So forgiveness is important and vital, but sin always has consequences in our life. So if you're going to go into new season, it requires cleansing in your life. Cleansing happens when you're willing to really confess and repent. 
take an inventory of your life. What is my life like? Where am I missing the target with God? How can I confess it and say, God, I take responsibility for my sin? You see, I think one of the big problems in our life is that oftentimes we don't take responsibility for our spiritual condition. We blame our spouse. If he were more on fire, oh, I would be a better Christian. I would love Jesus more, be involved in ministry. Listen, take responsibility for your own life. Well, if there were a home group that met closer to my house, then I would really grow. You see, I work the second shift, so I can't be in fellowship if there were... No, no, take responsibility. You see, Pastor, I'm not a really good reader, and I have this old King James Bible. You know, if I really... No, 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 take responsibility. My job really pulls me down because people are so negative, so critical, and if I had another job, I would really... Wait, take responsibility for your life. You see, I have a lot of little kids right now. One, they're grown and they've gone to college and I'll really be a, a prayer warrior and be involved in ministry. But right now with this baby here, that baby there, you know, how can God expect that I have a right relationship with him? I can barely survive. Hey, take responsibility for your spiritual condition. Listen, in the prayer that follows, in the prayer that follows, because after they repented, it tells us in verse, uh, in, in verse 5, they stood up to praise the Lord your God, who is from everlasting to everlasting. And now you find the longest prayer in the Bible. It takes you about six minutes to read, or six minutes to say out loud. It's a long prayer. And basically, it's a prayer. Let me summarize it for you. I'm not going to read the whole prayer. Let me summarize it for you. Basically, they say, this starts all the way in creation. Oh, God, you created the heavens and the earth and Adam. And, and then Abraham, you called our father Abraham and led him through the promise. And he had Isaac. And, and, and then you created a nation. And then we came into captivity. And then you set us free from the captivity. And then the Egyptians were drowned in the sea. And then we followed you. And then we turned our backs from you. Then we followed you and you turned our backs from you. And then you took us into captivity because we neglected and turned our backs on you. And God now... We are in a bad place because of our fault, and we're not happy with where we're at. So God, please have mercy on us. You know the big thing about this prayer is they don't blame God. They say, God, you've been faithful. We've been unfaithful. And we are at where we're at because of our bad choices. We take responsibility for our present condition. And now we call unto you, God, and ask that you would change it and have mercy on it. That's huge. That's huge. You see, I think we all need to say, I am responsible for my spiritual condition. Can you say that? Yeah, let's say it a little louder. One, two, three. I am responsible for my spiritual condition. I can't blame you, Pastor, anymore. No, no, you can't blame me anymore. Sorry. <laughs> pastor, if we only had a 2.30 service, because I'm just like waking up in the morning, you know, by a 2.30, I'm like wide awake, you know. If it... Sorry. You are responsible for your spiritual condition. Now take responsibility. 
do something about it. Have you said that? I am responsible for my spiritual condition. You know, that's the first step in preparing for a season of change. This is Moody Presents, where we're working our way through the book of Nehemiah, and our study for today is centered in chapter 9. Just a quick break to let you know that if you miss the daily radio broadcast anytime here, no problem. You can always listen at your convenience at the website moodypresents.org. All of our past programs are available anytime, anywhere, on demand at moodypresents.org. Well, change requires you to remove certain things from your life. And the big question is, what are you replacing those things with? Well, here again is Pastor Mark Job with more Moody Presents. The Bible says that, that they decided to get serious about it. You know, most of the times when we get serious about something, we, we write it down. When you decide to buy a house, typically you don't say, hey, I'm going to buy a house. What's your price? Here's the price. Okay, let's negotiate it uh, and shake hands. No, there's a contract involved. It's a written agreement because people change their mind. It's very clear. When you decide to get married, there's a marriage license. And that marriage license, two people sign that marriage license because it's a written formal agreement. When you're accepted in a college, there's an application form, there's a written agreement. Any kind of contractual covenant important decision is typically a written signed covenant agreement because what you're saying is, I don't want to leave this up to my fading memory. I don't want it to be foggy or fuzzy. I want this to be so clear that it's written down and there's no misunderstanding on your side and my side. Oftentimes, we make New Year's resolutions or set goals. We don't write them down. We're not clear about them. We don't really get specific about things. You make resolutions like, I want to be a better person. Well, that's a lousy resolution. How are you going to measure it? What does that mean? I'm going to get more in shape. Okay, Is there a health club plan, a jogging plan, a diet plan? Because that really is not a good commitment resolution. Have you written it down? They did a study years ago where they traced college graduates. I believe it was from Oxford University, college graduates. And they discovered that those that wrote down their goals were 80 to 5% more likely to achieve their goals than those that didn't write them down. They just kind of decided, well, this is what I want to be. Those that wrote their goals down were more likely to achieve them because they had the foresight to write them down. So you see in Nehemiah that suddenly, listen to what they do. After this, they make three major commitments. They've confessed their sin, and now they make three major commitments that, that are found in this passage. I want you to track them with me. Look what it says in verse 38. It says, in view of all this, we are making a binding agreement. We are putting it in writing, and our leaders, our Levites and our priests are affixing their seals to it. And so it says, those who sealed it were, and it lists about 82 to 83 names. They wrote out their commitment. There was a commitment they made about family, a commitment they made about worship, 
in a commitment they made about finances. Because here's the way it works. I want you to hear me well. Listen up. If you don't get anything, here's a spiritual principle. God is not the God of the takeaway. He's the God of the takeaway and the give back. Okay? When God takes something out of your life, he expects you to replace it with something else. Some of us have not learned that principle yet. We take something out, but we don't know that we're supposed to replace it with something else. Uh, some of you got saved, and, and you had a sailor's mouth, a trucker's mouth. Blankety-blank, blank, blankety-blank this, blankety-blank that, blankety-blank, blank, blank, blank. I'm going to the blankety-blank house of God today. And, you know, you, you just, that was your mouth. When you got saved and gave your life to Christ, you lost half of your language. People would say, how you doing? Good. How's your wife doing? Fine. You just lost half of your vocabulary because it was all blankety-blank bliss, and now you're so scared. But listen, so what happens? Do you just become mute? No. You learn to replace it with other expressions. You, you learn to re replace expletives with exclamations that are more suitable for the listeners. You don't stop s speaking. You don't just take something away. You take something away and you add something else in its place. That's always been the way of God. The way of God is not to strip us away from things and leave us neutral. The way of God is to strip things away and add other things to it. Uh, so in Ephesians, it says, don't lie anymore, but it says, now tell the truth. It also says, don't steal anymore. and says, go out and start working so that you can be generous and give. So stop stealing, work, and be generous. Um, you see, don't be critical anymore. Now use your tongue to build people up, to edify people. Uh, you see, God never just strips something away. He replaces the old with the new. Some of us know what's wrong, but we don't know what's right. So we've stripped away the old, but we haven't replaced it in new. And here's what happens. Listen, when you cast the demons out of a, of a life and you don't replace it with anything else, the Bible says the demons will run around and they'll come back to the house and realize that the house is still empty. So they'll come back to the house, they'll invade the house again, and they'll invite all their other demon friends to invade you again, and you'll be worse in the end than you were in the beginning because you have not understood that you don't just take things out, you fill things up with something. You don't just cast the evil spirit out, you get filled with the Holy Spirit who gives you power and strength to live for God. Are you tracking with me? So what's happened with some of our lives, if we stop certain things, but we haven't started our new way of living. And so the guy, the 24-year-old guy says, I'm done. I'm going to live for Jesus now. Man, I'm tired of playing around. I've been playing around too much. I'm going to live for God no matter what the cost. So you know what? I've, I've been a party club animal. And I've been out there every week, and I've been snorting lines, and I've been uh, doing some ecstasy, and I've been hanging out at the clubs and sleeping with a different girl every time, and I've been getting, been getting high and bar hopping and getting drunk every other weekend. I'm done with that. So they say, it's enough, done, out of my life. And the first weekend comes, the first Friday night comes. 
And they're at home making another cup of coffee. Sitting down, watching reruns of The Honeymooners. Eleven o'clock comes. Okay, let me go to bed. Can't go to bed. Wake up in the middle of the night. All right, next weekend. Let me try to endure it. My friends are all having fun. You're pacing around in the house. They're out there doing stuff. I'm stuck in my house again. I mean, I've, I've watched The Honeymooners for the fifth time. I'm done. I can, I'm, I'm mouthing it now. I know what's coming next. And you'll last that way till about the third weekend. Then the third weekend, you'll say, well, I'm going to go with them. I'm just not going to party with them. I'm going to hang out. And when everybody else is, you know, doing the Jack Daniels, I'll do the 7-Up. <laughs> and so you, that'll last about two weekends. And by the third weekend, you'll say, forget about this. And you'll be back to what you're doing before. But listen, you'll be worse. You know what just happened? You let go of something, but you didn't replace it with anything. You let go of the party life uh, cheap thrill, and you just were left in neutral. But you didn't replace it with friendship and other activities and knowing, hey, there's other wholesome ways of having fun and laughing and a good time and community and other people and having some, you, you, didn't, you didn't understand that you could replace it with other things that bring a lot of joy in life and have, that you don't have to be at home Friday and Saturday by yourself in front of the television, that you didn't understand that you need to replace it with something else that's godly, good, fun, healthy, wholesome in your life. And so you got rid of something, but then replace it with something. And ultimately, you will go back to that with a vengeance. Now you're hungry for it more. Now you have no restraints, and you'll be worse off than when you started. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Okay, here's the thing. When we cleanse our life, you always need to ask yourself, now that I'm taking this off, what am I putting on? Always ask that question. Now that I'm leaving this behind, what am I replacing it with? What is the godly antithesis to this? You see, we all have leg legitimate desires that we try to fulfill in illegitimate ways. It says, I'm lonely, I'm lonely, I'm lonely. So that's why I go from boyfriend to boyfriend. That's why I sleep with this guy, because I'm lonely. I just feel, I feel loved, I feel needed for this moment. And I wake up, I feel terrible, I feel guilty. But for the moment, I like it because I, I, I feel lonely. Hey, is that a bad thing? No, that's a legitimate need that you have. You feel lonely, and it's a legitimate need that you have, but you're fulfilling it in an illegitimate way. So when you get rid of it, how is God's legitimate way of fulfilling it? Well, hey, you need friends, not sleeping partners, friendship, talk, community, hanging out, people that aren't using you, but people that you're sharing with and feeling a close connection. You ever heard of that? Some of you have been used for so long, you don't even know how to have a friendship. New season. New season. New season. New season. Take off the old, put on the new. Take off the old, put on the new. That's what God is leading us to.
Today on Moody Presents, a message from Dr. Mark Job, pointing us to Ephesians 4, 21 through 23, which says, Surely you have heard of him and were taught in him, in keeping with the truth that is in Jesus, to put off the old way of life, your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Well, as we heard Dr. Mark Job talking about change, you know, this isn't just a one-time thing for those in desperate situations. No, taking off the old and putting on the new is something every Christ follower needs to be doing every day. We're all sinful people, and God calls all of us to continually be in a process of change in order to be more like Him. Well, next time we arrive at Nehemiah chapter 10, The city has been rebuilt, and the people realize that they need a revival of the heart. Well, there are three very specific areas that they focus on, and we're going to explore those in detail. Don't miss it. Lots of great insights for you and me to come. A reminder that if you'd like to enjoy a 50% discount off the entire line of Moody Publishers' books and Bible studies and biographies, you can become a Moody Presents monthly partner, giving $30 a month or more. Give your gift online at moodypresentsradio.org by hitting the Donate Now button. You can't miss it at moodypresentsradio.org. I'm John Geiger, and on behalf of Dr. Mark Job, thank you for listening. Moody Presents is a production of Moody Radio and a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. <music>